Uh, I am going to uh, share a little bit about our trip to Haiti uh, this morning, and uh, I brought with me uh, one of the people who went on our trip, uh, Victoria, who happens to be my daughter, uh, and I'm going to uh, let her share a little bit about her experiences um, uh, in Haiti, and then throughout the sermon, you'll hear some uh, stories, see some uh, pictures uh, of, uh, of our trip there. There were 18 of us that went. Uh, and it was a wonderful experience. Jim Clark is back there on the middle video camera, and he's the team leader. Uh, and I couldn't get him to come up and share this time because he's on the video camera. So I thought I'd go with Victoria. So, Victoria, tell me why you decided that you wanted to go uh, to Haiti. Well, I've been on lots of mission trips before, and I really have a heart for them. Um, I actually got to go to Alaska last year, and that was the furthest I've ever been from home. And I absolutely loved it. Um, so... This was my first chance to go out of the country, so I thought I'd take that opportunity. Okay. And now tell me uh, maybe an experience uh, that you had on the trip that, uh, that you felt really impacted your life. Um, well, we did lots of service and um, uh, different things with kids there, but um, one thing that, one experience that um, really impacted me was the first day we were there on Sunday morning, we got to go to a church that had actually been built by um, S through SMI a few years back. Um, so we got to go there and worship with the Haitian people, and it was such a beautiful thing because they were so full of the love of God, and um, their praise was absolutely wonderful. We couldn't understand what they were saying or singing, but you could tell that they loved God, and they raised their hands and sang as loud as they could. Uh, now, now tell me how the the trip to Haiti has impacted your perspective since you since you've been back in the states. Um, well, I've always heard about third world countries and the poverty there, um, and I've seen pictures and heard stories about it. Um, but seeing it up close and personal, I wasn't really prepared for it, and I don't think there's any way you can prepare for it. Um, but actually seeing the people there and seeing their lives, it um, taught me not to take things for granted. Um, to such a greater extent than ever before. You know, I'm thankful for every meal I have, more than I ever thought I could be. Um, but even more so, just my regular daily life, you know, what so many things in my life um, that these people never even see that um, are pointless, like arguing about silly things and stuff like that. It, it seems so pointless to me now. So it's taught me to live life to a more full way. Well, cool. You want to go back to Haiti? Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the opportunity that you gave us to go to Haiti. Thank you for the uh, experiences that we had there. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, open your word, reflect on what you have to say to us this morning, and hear some of the, the stories uh, from Haiti, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that your spirit would uh, uh, invade this place. Lord, make yourself known. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. And I titled this uh, passage, uh, this sermon today, Heaven in a Haitian Orphanage. Uh, and you'll get to hear more from Terry Azell in a little bit about our trip to, uh, uh, our trip to an orphanage uh, there uh, while we were there. Uh, but the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to give away $100. Anybody out there want $100? Now, Jimmy Watts probably has his hand up, but he probably knows I'm not really going to give away $100, but uh, um, uh, yeah, think about this, because if I said, I want to give away $100, most of us would be like, hey, I'm down, I, what, 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 what do you want me to do? What do I need to do to, to, to get the $100 bill? Uh, 
Well, what if I told you that I would give you that $100 bill if you would allow me just for, uh, just for today to make the decisions in your life? J- just for today, wh- where you went to eat, what you had to eat, what you watched on television this afternoon, uh, what time you went to bed this evening. If I could make those decisions for this one day, would that be enough? Would $100 be enough? For some of you it might be. For some of you thinking, eh, $100 just for the decisions for today. I don't know what kind of decisions you're going to make for me. What if I have to eat something? I'm going to tell you something. If somebody said, I'll give you $100, but I'm going to make your decisions about what you eat, and they told me I was going to eat green beans, I'd be like, no, no, that's okay. You keep your $100. Now, if they bumped it up a little bit higher, I might be willing to talk. But a lot of us would take $100 if we thought that it was going to be some decent decisions and not too bad. But now what if I said, I'm going to give you $100, but I want to make your decisions for the rest of this week. From, from now until next Sunday morning, I'm going to make the decisions for you. What you eat, what you wear, where you go, uh, what, what you do, what you watch on television, what time you get up, what time you go to bed. I'm going to decide whether you, whether you, what kind of exercise you're going to get for $100. Now, I, there might be somebody in here, especially some of our younger ones, who'd be like, $100, bucks, i am down for that. Just for a week, I'm good. But most of us at this point, we're stepping back and going, I don't think a week of my time is worth $100. And what if I said a month to do the same thing? I bet I lose a lot more. What about for a year, for $100? Would you let me make all of the decisions in your life for a year? Well, I'm guessing at this point I've lost everybody. But, but what if I said then I, I want to make every decision for the rest of your life for $100, I think everybody's gone. I don't think there's anybody in here who would say, no, even the little ones are going, now that's a lot because you're going to decide where I go to college and who I marry and how many children I have and things like that. $100 is not enough money for us to do that. But we have to realize that we have A big question in our lives. Big question number one is what are we willing to exchange our lives for? It's $100 isn't enough. I I can assure you that. Maybe maybe even $1,000 wouldn't be enough. Maybe a million dollars wouldn't be enough. Maybe $2 million wouldn't be enough. But maybe I'm starting to approach the number for some people. I don't know. A couple million dollars? You can make some decisions in my life. But we are exchanging our lives for something. Are we exchanging it for a bigger house, for a bigger retirement account, the freedom to travel wherever we want to go, comfort and security? Are we exchanging it for eternity? Now, we don't stand on a stage. Obviously, we're not going to stand up on a stage. I'm not going to stand up and go, here's what I'm exchanging my life for. A, a, a bigger retirement account and, and the opportunity to go anywhere I want and free health care. Okay, I, I, you know, uh, some of us might go, those are pretty good things. If you promise me that, I, I, I'm, I'm going to let you make some decisions in my life. But we do exchange our lives for something. We don't stand up on a stage and announce it. But every day we make decisions 
Every day, we make choices. And those choices decide what's important in our lives. Those choices lead us for one day, for one week, for one month, for one year, and then for a lifetime. Those choices and those decisions, those are the things that we've exchanged our lives for. Our lives for. And we want to make sure today we're understanding what it is that Jesus calls us to do, what it is that he wants us to, to experience in our life. So big question number two is this. What keeps us from experiencing the life that God wants us to live? What keeps us from experiencing that life? Because I, I believe with all my heart that God has a plan for us. And, and I'm not saying that God knows. He says, all right, I'll, Jamie, I want you to eat green beans for lunch today, and then I want you to eat broccoli for supper tonight. I, I don't know that I believe that God has that plan for us, but I believe that he has a plan for us to experience life here, here and now the way he desires for us. And I think there are some barriers that keep us from experiencing that. And I want to look at three of those today. And we're going to look at the, begin by reading Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever lose, loses his life for my sake will find it. Now look, this is what the, the, the sermon series is called Flipped. And, and this is what Jesus does to us. He flips our ideas on their head. Because our human nature is to seek to hold on to life. To seek to hold on to the decisions and the choices that we make in our lives. And Jesus says, if you are seeking to save your life, you'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then he asked this question. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Are we willing to exchange our lives and those decisions in our lives for the whole world? If you could be the most popular person in the whole world, if you could be the most powerful person in the whole world, the richest person in the whole world, would you be willing to exchange your life for that? My guess is that most of us would say no. And, and reason being, you're here this morning sitting with a room full of people who call themselves Christ followers, call themselves Christians, and, and, and you're here because you want to follow Christ. And you know that... Uh, that is antithetical to the Christian life, to seek more power, more money, uh, more pleasure. So, but, but I, I think it's interesting where this passage of Scripture lies in this narrative. Because if you go back into the first part of Matthew chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 13, I'm not going to read it, but Jesus asked a question to the disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? And they give him different answers, great prophet, you know, Moses, all these different answers. And then Jesus turns the question to the disciples and says, well, who do you say that I am? And, and Jesus, and, and Peter at this point confesses to Jesus that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And all of the disciples at this point 
uh, pretty much agree. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I, I think if I ask everybody in this room, stand up if you think Jesus is the Messiah, I think everybody would stand up. If I said, if you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, stand up. I, I think everybody in this room is going to stand up. So, so Jesus has given this question and gotten that answer. And so, look, there's a, there's a head knowledge from the disciples. And then he turns into Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, and, and he follows up with, with this command. For the people who have, who have answered, you are the Messiah, he says to this, well, if you really believe that, not just with your head, but with your heart, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So I think Jesus gives us three things in this passage of Scripture that help us uh, understand what keeps us from experiencing the life that God wants. And the first thing is this, unchanged desires. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, now the Greek there isn't just deny himself. If you've ever been on a diet, you kind of walk into the, into the pantry and open it up, and you see the Oreos there, and you close the door, and I'm going to deny myself the Oreos. I'm not going to eat the Oreos today. You open up the pantry door the next day, you deny yourself of the Oreos. But then you head over and you go, you know, I hear dark chocolate's not bad for me. So you break out the little dark chocolate candy bar and eat a little bite of the dark chocolate candy bar. You denied yourself the Oreos. But, but we, we find other ways to satisfy those, those desires. The, this is utterly deny yourself in the Greek. Utterly deny, be completely focused on Christ and his mission, completely self-sacrificing. There's drained of every ounce of self-interest. And, and I, let me just say, none of us are going to master that complete denial in this life, but many of us want to follow Christ, but they want to do so on their own terms. It's only when we become completely devoted to the cause of, cause of Christ that our desires begin to intersect with his. I'm going to illustrate this uh, this way. I have two residents at my house. I actually have more than those, but two. The first here is Mia. Uh, Mia is uh, about a year and a half old. And, and Mia is devoted to you. And by you, I mean anybody that's reaching down and rubbing her belly at that time. Okay, If you rub her belly, she will follow you wherever you lead her. Okay, That is Mia. Okay, now, now the second resident in my house is uh, Moose. Okay, Moose exists to be served. Anybody? Now, let, I'm just gonna let me just say this for anybody out there thinking, well, he hates cats. I don't hate cats. In fact, I prefer cats over dogs. Okay, because I, I'm I'm a cat person. If you were in my Bible study class last spring, you heard my story about being chased by a dog. Uh, and and I, I'm a cat person. I prefer cats. But moose exists to be served. And it's so funny because I, I, I had this sermon ready, and, and I get up this morning, and moose is, moose is scratching on my door when I got up this morning. And, and he wanted to be fed. So I go downstairs, and I feed him. And, and, and then he goes up back upstairs, and everybody else in my house is still asleep, and starts meowing in the hallway. And I have no idea what he wanted, but I think he wanted into somebody's room so he could hop on somebody's bed and sleep. So I had to pick Moose up and throw him outside so he didn't wake anybody else up. Moose exists for you to give him what he wants. Now, sometimes those two things intersect. Sometimes I want to feed him because, you know, he's hungry. Sometimes I want to pet him and he wants to be petted. Uh, but most of the time, our our interests don't intersect. And we we have a 
choice to make. You know, are we going to live the, the Mia life or the moose life? Are we going to devotedly follow Christ wherever he leads us? Are we going to live for our interest to be uh, uh, fulfilled, to, for, our, for ourselves to be fulfilled? The second barrier uh, is an improper definition. And, and this is an interesting, how do we define life? How do we define life? And I think if I talk to most of you, you wouldn't go, you know, it's just the number of years that you live. Life is about the quality of how we live. And, and outside, now listen, outside of our Christian culture, life is about the here and now. What can I experience? What can I do? What can I get? But in our own lives, we have to fight against the tendency to be about the here and now. And, and for a lot of Christians, for a long time, life has been about the there and the end. Well, if I just get through this life, I'm going to enjoy eternal life in heaven. And, and now listen, I'm all about eternal life in heaven and enjoying that. But I don't think that God wants us to get through this life. I think he wants us to experience life here and now and there and then. So there's this tension. And how do we resolve? How do we... Uh, how do we come to the place where we figure out what's, what, what is our necessities? What are the things that we need in this life? I'm going to ask Terry Azale to come up, and he's going to share his experience at uh, the Haitian uh, orphanage that we, that we visited, and it impacted all of our lives. Trust me, it was, a, it was an incredible experience. And, and he's going to talk about how he came to some of the things he came to understand out of being at that orphanage. Good morning. Um, the... Second or third day in country, it was on the Tuesday um, of our trip, Big Jeff, who was our um, SMI guide, uh, had, planned us, had planned for us to go to uh, a Haitian orphanage. And he told us, now, be prepared, expect to be shocked emotionally at what we're going to see and what we would experience. When we got off the bus, we walked through the concrete wall, and the thing that it reminded me most when I saw it was some pictures I'd seen in movies of concentration camps in Nazi Germany because it was completely void of any, any plant life, any grass. There were puddles of water. I mean, it was worse than you might imagine. And then we heard a noise, and we walked into a, a tarp-like structure with some crude wooden benches. And when we got in there, there were 60 Haitian orphans, ranging in age from 2 to probably 16. They were singing, they were clapping, they were praising Jesus Christ at the top of their lungs with smiles on their faces. And I stood there in complete amazement as I, I just soaked that scene in. And it, was, it really humbled me. Because I think watching those kids, I got a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. Because here were kids with absolutely nothing from a material standpoint, but they sang praises to Jesus with incredible joy. And that joy was obviously independent of their circumstances in life. I mean, here were kids with no running water, one outdoor bathroom without septic facilities, tattered clothing, poor nutrition, no toys, all sleeping in one large room, 
but they were full of joy. And that reminded me that true joy, true joy, I'm not saying happiness, I'm talking joy, true joy, is found only when we rest in Christ alone. And I was convicted after that visit to stop complaining and to count my blessings. Too often, we as Christians focus on the here and now, the circumstances in our lives. Our Savior told us not to do that. In Luke, he was speaking to his disciples and he said, For this reason I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you'll eat, nor your body as what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your lifespan? If you can't even do that little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And don't seek what you will eat and what you'll drink. Don't keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So our joy often is so dependent on the circumstances of this temporary existence we call life on earth, when in reality our joy is bound up in heaven. Christ tells us, the Bible tells us that we're not citizens of this world. What are we? Aliens. As Christians, we're aliens in this world. Where's our citizenship? Heaven. And it's by focusing on that where we find a source of true joy. Thanks, Terry. And let me just tell you, uh, you, uh, you talk to anybody that went on Haiti. They have a story to tell. They have uh, something that they experienced uh, on that trip that that brought them face-to-face with the question of what is essential in my life? What what are the necessities in in my life? Now, look, I'm not telling you to go home and and sell all your furniture and sleep on the floor and, and take your toilet out and use an outhouse. I'm not telling you to do any of that stuff. I'm not telling you to take your phone and your cell phone and give it away or, you know, get rid of your computer. Uh, you know, I'm not telling you to get rid of any of the modern conveniences of life. But what I am saying is that we need to understand what life really is. We need to have a better definition of what the necessities and the essentials of life are because when we, when we strip it all away and see what is most important, relationships, sharing the gospel, serving others, it makes it easier for us, for our desires to intersect with what God has for us. Okay, the last barrier, unexpected paths. Jesus says, let, he, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, now that's, we've all heard that, follow me. And, and we've even... Yeah, uh, I have heard people say this. Man, if you'll just follow Jesus, everything will be right in your life. That's a big, fat lie. Not everything is going to be right in your life. We live in a fallen, sinful, broken world. 
among fallen, sinful, broken people. We are fallen, sinful, broken people. We mess up. Other people mess up. Disease happens. Death occurs. But when we follow Jesus, we can experience joy in the midst of that, in the midst of the brokenness. In fact, listen, I believe this. We should anticipate as followers of Jesus being led into distinctly different and unusual places. We should anticipate that. I don't think think Daniel set out and said, I want to end up in a lion's den, but he did. I don't think Abram, when he got up one morning, said, I want to go to a far-off country where I'm a stranger and I don't know anybody. But that's where he went. I don't think David, when he was anointed king, the next king, thought, well, I'm going to end up sleeping in caves and running for my life. But that's where following Jesus led him. I'm not sure that when Paul and the, the early disciples signed up to follow Jesus, they signed up for prison and beatings. But, but that's where Jesus led them. Led Jesus to a cross for us. Now listen, Jesus walked with prostitutes and he mingled with tax collectors and he sat with lepers and he hung out with the poorest of the poor. And and I just think that, that our paths should be leading us in some way into similar places. If not, maybe we're just exchanging our lives for the safety and security of a house, of a retirement account, of our children excelling. But it's when we will get off of that well-worn path into some unexpected places that we're not comfortable going to that we find the greatest blessing got a video that we're going to show. I'm just going to set it up just a little bit. Jody Watts went on the trip with us. And Jody, Jody is, you, you ask him to do something, build something, construct something, design something, he's there. Uh, in fact, the, on one of the days that we were there, we put a roof on an on a outhouse. Uh, and, and I think he was instrumental in designing that. But Jody had an experience at the Haitian Orphanage. And he shared, he shared it with our group, and I just went, Jody, you got to share that. So he, he wasn't able to be here, so I videoed this. So, so watch as Jody shares about his experience in the Haitian Orphan. This was my first trip to Haiti and actually my first international mission trip. One of my most mo- memorable moments was the day we went to the orphanage, and it was probably the day I was most outside my normal comfort zone. Uh, when we got there that morning, uh, the children were in a tent, singing Bible songs and welcoming us. And I kind of hung to the back of the group at the time, not really sure what to do. As the kids spread out and and spread out amongst our members, uh, one of the smaller ones, who was probably less than three years old, came up to me and was holding his arms up for me to pick him up. And I will tell you that I hesitated a moment because prior to uh, arriving at the orphanage, our host, Jeff Dahl, had mentioned to us that some of the children were somewhat sickly, some of them were very sick, and that it was okay if we didn't want to pick some of them up or interact too much with them because he understood that they were very sick children. And this little boy was certainly in that category. He uh, 
he visibly had some some issues with his skin. He had a runny nose. He had a terrible cough, and and he was a, he was a sick little boy, and, and wanting to be held. And I hesitated. And when I did, uh, what I what I heard in my mind was uh, a verse out of Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, where Jesus talks about the least of these, my brothers. And that was exactly what I was seeing was one of the least of these, my brothers. And Jesus said. Uh, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do also unto me. So I picked him up, and, and we had a great time. We played together. Uh, we sang together. We went to the medical tent and got him some medical attention, uh, which he needed. And, and I had a great, great afternoon. Uh, about lunchtime, one of the workers came to get him, and his name was Estefano. They came to get Estefano and took him to lunch. And so I was just milling around, talking to some of the other children, Within probably three minutes, he was back beside me again with his bowl of food, wanting to be fed. So I took him into the same tent. We sat down, and I was feeding him. And I noticed each time I, I put a spoon to his mouth, he would basically kiss the food before he ate it. And he pointed to my lips several times. I really didn't understand what it was he was doing. But off to my left was a group of older kids, probably 10 to 12 years old. Uh, my take on them was they were kind of too cool to be hanging around with us, so they were off by their by themselves, uh, but one of them was keeping a close eye on me, I noticed that, and eventually he came over and sat down with me, his name was Marcus, he was actually Estefano's older brother, and as I was sitting there, he started feeding Estefano, each time he would take a spoonful of food, he would blow on it as if he was cooling it, now this food was stone cold at this point, but he would blow on it as, he, as if he was cooling it, and then feed it to a Stefano. And that's really when it hit me hardest that, you know, these kids were orphans. They, they knew their parents, and they had lost their parents. And that was a tough moment for me, but it gave me an opportunity to spend some time with Marcus. And, and he and I started playing some games together, and, and kind of one by one, his friends would come over and, and kind of join in. And before we left that day, I think I had the whole crew, what I call Marcus's posse, uh, gathered around me and we were playing games and I shared with our group later that you know this was a huge blessing for me I had a, a great time spending time with Marcus and with Stefano and with all the kids but what struck me was what a blessing I would have missed if I had not picked Stefano up and, and if, if that verse if Jesus had not put that verse into into my head and, and it, it just it's a reminder to me every day as we make decisions that that God has blessings for us if we're just obedient to his word. And uh, that's what will stick with me most with my trip to Haiti. I think I call this my Stefano moment, but each time I have that opportunity to make a decision whether or not to be obedient to Christ, uh, I will always remember this moment. Where, where do you need to follow Christ today? What unexplored pathway do you need to be led down? And if you don't have one, if you're not sure, ask him. And say, God, where do you want me to go today, this week, this month, this year? Because I want to exchange my life for eternity. Let's stand. Let's sing. The altar's open and I'm available. If you need to talk, if you need to pray, you come.